Hello and welcome to Total Football Debate, Pod 24. Pod 24, what an eventful week. The Saints sparkled against the villains. Man United wished they were singing Ole Ole Ole. Norwich didn't fuck up. The Hammers chinked the armour of Liverpool and Benitez starts becoming stuck at Everton. All that and more on Total Football Debate. Of course, I'm not on my own. I'm Jason. Now, there's only two of us this week. Scott, how you doing? Very well, mate. Very well. Well, we better make this a good one, Jace, because lo and behold, we've stumbled across another pointless international break. Enjoy this one while it lasts. I think all the news this week and all the... Well, we haven't used this term in a while, but the managerial merry-go-round, which we'll touch on briefly as among relevant today, but it seems pretty pretty apt that that will form a large basis of the show next week. So we'll, but we'll bite our tongues today and kind of keep it brief, but I'm sure there'll be plenty to talk about and plenty of reactions to go over. So, yeah, I mean, well, what a week. Um, let's not waste any 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 time because we've got well, it's been quite the eventful weekend to be fair and um i'm gonna mix it up a bit because um yeah there were some pretty big results i'm gonna start with probably the one that's freshest in the memory and that is west ham liverpool i think if i remember rightly we all said there was going to be potentially goals in it and it'd be a good game i look like a mug because yet again I kind of wrote it off and said, oh, there's no way. No way Liverpool would lose. They'd most definitely win. Turned out not to be the case. And uh, David Moyes is proving quite the messiah. If West Ham have full control over what they can do this season, I think, based on how everyone else is doing around them, they can, they can make top four. They've got a starting eleven that's as good as any of the teams, I'd say, outside of the supposed top three. Yet, funny enough, they've turned one of them over in this game we're talking about. But I'd say Chelsea, Man City and Liverpool far and above West Ham on paper. West Ham should be below Man United on paper, but that's a whole other story. Um, look, if as I said, if West Ham have full control over what, the outcome is this season and have a full starting 11 from game one to game 38 top four is there for them you alluded to this last week and it seems to be a recurring theme that so far things have been quite kind to West Ham no no injuries Europa League's playing fair to them everything's you know smelling of roses over there you could say if Things start to turn when you start looking at their key players, you know, if there's a disruption in the Sushek and Rice centre midfield, if they lose Antonio for a good handful of games, um, that's when it will get interesting. But it applies to everyone because the one thing I don't think West Ham have, and luckily they don't have to call on it very often, is a strong bench. And I think at that mo- at this moment, they've not really had to utilise it too much. And fair play to them. You know, they are as strong as anyone, as I said, outside of that top three. No, and I'd agree. And I think if you look at the top teams, they're probably going to be the one of the least that are not impacted by things like the African Cup of Nations and stuff, which you would think for Liverpool is certainly going to be quite a big thing. Um, I don't know about the other teams off the top of my head, but I think Liverpool will definitely be far and wide the most heavily affected um, on that. So, obviously, it was a great game. Five-goal thriller. So, the first goal, foul on Alisson or Klopp moaning for moaning's sake? And I'll tell you where I stand on this because I'm going to find it very hard to point my tongue. But I find in this situation... The default is always to feel empathy for the goalkeeper and to go on the goalkeeper's side, which, in my opinion, is what 
Klopp's stance leans to, and I think it's complete bollocks, to be fair. I don't think it was a foul on Allison. He's missed the ball. He's gone for it. He's missed it. And he's ended up in a bundle around the players. I don't see Klopp's point on that one, to be honest. The goalkeeping situation has baffled me for years, right? Because for some reason, I just don't know where this conversation's been had where they've sat around the board and said, the player that can only use his head has the disadvantage against the goalkeeper who can use every part of his body and extend his body by another foot tall. So goalkeeper comes out with his hands. He can't be penalised for handball. He can punch through a player if he's gone for the ball. He can elevate himself to be a foot taller by using his hands to jump and catch the ball. Yet it's always a case that if he misses the ball, was the player obstructing him? And I've never understood that rule. Yes, you've got your occasional moments where the player deliberately bashes into the goalkeeper, makes no attempt to get the ball. Of course, that's a foul. But you're telling me from that corner that the players around him, like Og Bonner, have any intention of disrupting Allison other than jumping up to get his head on the ball. Yes, there's a player in front of Allison that's standing there when the ball comes in. But again, it's he's got his arm on his back, you know? He's the one that's putting his arm on him to feel him. If you don't like it, stand in front of him. But he doesn't. He just, he, it's like he wants, he's got more, and this is where it gets really lazy from goalkeepers and defenders. The amount of times you see them looking for the foul with no intention of actually trying to go for the ball. They would rather have the foul first. And I think it's just lazy. So I don't agree with it. Um, Klopp's got a major habit of clutching at straws. He's one of the worst yeah. for it. And he, yeah. he's, got an, he's got one of them really sarcastic attitudes in his conferences as well, in his interviews that I can't stand. It's a bit mm-hmm. of an arrogance about him. Yeah. And like, if he doesn't like the question that's asked, he tries to mug off the person that's asking it to make him look stupid. And he looks so pathetic at times. So he's just one of those that just rubs me up the wrong way in his interviews anyway. So I have trouble sympathising with him in the first place. But to answer your question, not a foul for me. No, I fully agree. And I think the goalkeeper rule is one that really annoys me. Like, automatically, if any player of any sort is near him, then it's a foul. I just think that's... It's ridiculous. Um, The second decision, major or second major talking point decision, Aaron Cresswell and the whole should he have been sent off, shouldn't he type scenario. So you can see he's made contact with the ball, his foot skimmed off it, and it's gone through. It's the other leg that raises a bit of a question for me because the other leg's a bit wild. Um, And I just don't like that territory where we could be going to, whereby you say, you know, yeah, it's dangerous. But the initial tackle wasn't dangerous until it skimmed off the ball. The same situation is with Holgate. He clears the ball, easily clears the ball, and they send him off for the follow-through. They say that his clearance is too wild. Well, if I'm putting the ball into Rose Ed, I'm sorry, but I don't care who's in front of me. <laughs> I'm getting rid of it. So it's, it's, it's a dangerous one. I do think the Crestwell one is, it, yes, it could have been nasty. And don't get me wrong, if he'd have broken his leg, he would have been off. And we've alluded to that before, how injuries sometimes influence decisions as well. And it, I don't really like the way it's going. But... He maybe has a bit more of a point. I've seen him given. That's the problem. So with that in mind, and you mentioned the word consistency and the Mason Holgate incident, even with VAR, are we at a point where regardless of the rules, regardless of having VAR that's supposedly meant to clear all this up, are we just forever going to be in this vacuum that football is down to an interpretation of the rules? Because that's what it seems to be every week. It's someone else's opinion. Even with VAR, they'll recommend the referee has a look at it. 
in case he's missed something, but he's not told he's in the wrong. So therefore, it's still subjective. It's their opinion versus the referee's opinion. It's always going to be. I think the only difference that VAR offers is it gives the referee a chance to say that his opinion is the same as someone else. VAR's there to, to allow the ref to ask someone else that might have been in his position as to whether he thinks his interpretation could be seen or is he just being biased. So it's always going to be open to interpretation, but it's just the, getting the majority vote that I think is different. Because in another scenario, there's tackles that have gone on this week where I was sitting there going, how has VAR not nudged a referee there and said, take a look at that? Because in another game in the previous week or in the previous season when VAR's there, they pulled it back and he's stamped on him or, or he's followed through. So it's always open to interpretation, but there has to be a rule or a foundation in place whereby... Even if they call him over to VAR, if the ref then turns around and goes, my interpretation is he didn't mean it, but I understand why you've called me over. I think that's that's better. But I hate it when in one case they call him over, but in another they don't. Because then to me, they're like the foundation to the rule isn't there. So it should be, if I think a player has been stamped on, I'm going to call you over. It's up to you whether you think it's intentional or not. But at the moment, that, I'm going to call you over if I see a stamp isn't even there to begin with. And that's the problem. Same with the Cresswell challenge. There's a dangerous follow through that's happened here. I'm just going to call you over to the screen and you can just. But at the moment, we're getting a follow through raised in one game, but not in the other. And that's the thing that I think is annoying people. Just put the rules on paper whereby we will always call you over if this happens. And then you can decide whether you think it, because at the end of the day, referees are there for their own opinion. Very true. Very true. We could go on about that for days. So, and we've got other stuff to talk about. So I'm not going to dwell too much more on that, but there were a fair few talking points. So just quickly, um, to summarise, obviously the result was massive for West Ham. As we alluded to at the beginning there, it further jilts them into that top four scenario. As for Liverpool, I mean, we've been singing quite wildly about them the last couple of weeks as the team to beat. Any room for concern for them? Just one of those results? or Yeah, I said this before. There'll be, there'll be a, a handful, if any. I reckon I could count on one hand the amount of teams that might turn over West Ham this season on their own ground. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I don't know. I think Liverpool are still the ones to beat, to be fair. I still think, as other results have proved this weekend, it's not just them. Talking of other results, well, we might as well go to the United game. Not that there's too much to talk about, because that fraud of a manager is still in charge. How? I think it's an opportunity missed for, for them. I think they've massively messed up, to be honest. That was a big, big game. One where he had an opportunity to put it right. And like you say, now Conte's at Spurs, it feels like that was the one that if they were going to change it, he was the most obvious candidate. But I just wonder, I keep talking about he wasn't the right fit for United. Maybe someone like Zidane is the one they're waiting for. Don't know what difference that makes, but... Um, where do they go? For, I mean, City, big win for City. Um, they weren't really tested, but where do you think that leaves United in the realm of, well, can they even make the top four now? Are they adrift of that? I mean, how, how far down are they going to go this season? I guess that's the big question. The only thing I don't get is, like you say, for Zidane, but he's not employed by anyone. He hasn't been employed by anyone for... Well, a long time. And I, I, well, yeah. So I, what are they waiting for? Well, also his credentials as well. I know he's done okay with Madrid, but still, he, it's hard with United to judge the dog. I mean, what kind of message does it send to the players? There are reports of players becoming unsettled. Bruno Fernandes being one of them, not happy with Solskjaer and how they're setting up. As I say, for me, as an outside looking in, it's intriguing to know just how far they're willing to drop before they 
before they bite the bullet. And when they do bite the bullet, it's hard to gauge who they go for now. And City were in cruise control, really. They never never looked under any threat and it was all very comfortable. So, I mean, yeah, as Manchester derbies goes, it'll be quite disappointing for the United fans again. And, you know, it's just a case now of how, how bad does it get before anything else happens. But remains to be seen. So, not so rosy in the red half of Manchester. The blue half, again, sitting pretty. Um, now I'm going to go back to the other Sunday game. The earlier Sunday game, in fact. Which was Arsenal-Watford, which on paper, potentially, given how up and down Watford seemed to be at the moment, potentially was going to be a tricky game for Arteta to navigate. But here we are again. Clean sheet, three points, sitting in fifth. He can't do much wrong at the moment, can he? I'm amazed by how many clean sheets they've kept this season so far. Bearing in mind they were off to a horrendous start, conceding nine goals in three league games. They then 1-0, 1-0, They've had a 2-0 last week against a tough team away from home. 1-0. I guess the only thing is they'll be asking whether Norwich, Burnley and Watford should be being beaten 1-0 by a team like Arsenal. But at this moment in time, especially when you look at Chelsea this week, I'd rather have a one nil than a one all. So I don't I don't really think it matters to Arteta how many goals are scored. Um, if anything, it probably shows a bit more that they can see out a one nil because they always say that one nils are the most dangerous results. Yeah, well it was a tough game for them as well. Watford made it hard for them, didn't they? And Watford did have their well, they had a goal disallowed and they missed a penalty. So they probably thought everything was going to go against them in that game, Arsenal. Yeah. And fair play, they kept their head on and he cropped up again, didn't he? The old wonder boy. Nifro, yep. Another another goal. Again, very influential for me now. I mean, you talk about Jack Grealish being the £100 million main man out of England. But is there an argument to say that Smithrow carries on? But... Obviously, he's got an England call-up today. But if you think about them, I know they don't play in exactly the same positions, but in terms of age, style, positioning, he's on the upward trajectory, isn't he? I'd say Smith-Rowe, if anything, although not right now, I wouldn't say he's anywhere near that price tag right now. I'd say that his position is more valuable than Jack Grealish. I think it's easier to come across wingers. You know, you look at England's wingers, we're spoilt for them, aren't we, really? We've always been good for wingers, but when you look at a number 10, there's not many you can really count. You know, you had your Deli Alley at one point. No one else could really take it from him. He's dropped off. You've now got Phil Foden. And yeah, then Smith Rowe. I think when you look at the England lineups in in the Euros... You know, Rice and Phillips, we were always then left pondering about the other, who's the other man? Um, and at this moment, I don't think there's many knocking on the door. I mean, Smith-Rowe, Mount, it's, it's tough. I think Smith-Rowe's got to do this the whole season. But at the moment, he is certainly, and he deserves the call-up. He, he at least deserves the call-up to be, to be given the chance. Uh, but if he carries on the form like he is, I can't see why he can't get you know, nail it down. But, you know, Mason Mount's not playing that often. Um, Foden, depending on where we want to play, Phil Foden yeah. for England. But for Arsenal, I wouldn't... I mean, it wasn't that long ago we were all saying Saka's their main man. And, well, one's not quite as influential this season, but he seems to have just come out of nowhere in that number 10 shirt. And... He certainly is making a name for himself at the moment and he's he's got all eyes on him. What's that now? Four, uh, three goals in four games? Yeah. So it's pretty good going. With Arsenal now, shoe-ins for top four? Well, you tell me. If only West Ham and Arsenal can get top four, who's getting it? That I cannot tell you because I'm undecided. <laughs> I think Arsenal have the better depth. 
that's where I said West Ham have a bit of a downfall. But West Ham have elements to their game that Arsenal don't have. For a start, Arsenal's centre midfield, let's be fair, other than Smith Rowe. I mean, you've got what Maitland Niles and Lokonga. Well, they couldn't tie Suchek and Rice's laces at the moment. So it just comes down to how well that midfield pairing hold up. I mean, Maitland Niles looks like he's getting a bit of a run, which is going to be good uh, because I think he does deserve a run in that centre midfield. And lo and behold, he's played two 90-minute games and they've won both of them and kept a clean sheet. So maybe he's the maybe he's the boy that they thought they were going to get rid of that ends up being a bit of a saving grace. No, I agree. And again, it's mad to think that we over the course of pre-season, we're hammering Arsenal and, well, look how quickly it's turned. It's early days, look. They've got a West Ham team that are in form. They've got a Leicester team that are very hot and cold. You've got a downturn in form for Man United, which could sooner or later become an upturn in form, depending on where they go. They've Tottenham have got a manager in that no one thought was coming in after the summer madness they had. So much could happen. We don't know. So, I mean, we haven't said much about Watford, so I guess the only thing to say on that is they put up a good fight. They clinged on as long as they could, but reasons to be hopeful from that game? See any signs of improvement under Ranieri? They didn't concede many. <laughs> That's probably... Uh, Every loud. <laughs> Every yeah, loud. I, th- I think, I mean... Uh, other than tough. other than the other than the, I mean they've lost two games in a row they lost them both one nil I guess that's a that's a positive in some aspect. Their next four or five fixtures are killers. I don't know if you've seen them, but they've got United next, which killer maybe in three points with them. <laughs> United at home, away to Leicester when you hit December and they're at home to Chelsea and at home to Man City as well. So I think they'll be more concerned about what's going on below them at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Got two clubs have sacked their manager and brought in new ones. So, well, one of them has brought in a new one. So you're, they'll be thinking, hang on, have we got new manager syndrome coming in? And then they've got the other team below them who are getting points against teams you didn't think they'd get points against. So I don't think they'll be too disappointed about what they're doing, but I think they'll be concerned that the teams below them are making moves in some way, shape or form. Right, two more televised games to cover them. So that wraps that one up. Well done, Arsenal. Um, Watford, clinging on for dear life. I'm going to switch to the Friday night game. I'm going to leave the Saturday night one till last because to me it was, well, it was what it was. But the Friday game obviously had massive implications for what happened over the weekend. A certain man that we discussed quite a few times on this pod that he needs to come good and pinch one. He ended up doing that one all right. Um, Southampton Villa. Well, well, well. Here we are. I've banged on about it for weeks, but we said it could potentially be a big game for him. It was, but unfortunately for him, he was on the wrong side of it. And I guess where I want to start with this one really is, given the implication of what happened to Villa there, how concerned should Villa be, regardless of, regardless of manager coming in? There's clear clear, clear problems with players underperforming. And we're not just talking any players here, but we're talking about Bailey, Bundia, Danny Ings has come up with a few goals, but that's impacted on Watkins. But how much of this is recruitment-led and how much of this is managerial-led in the sense of not being able to fit in or, I guess come up with a plan B post-Grealish? The first thing that came to my feed was Aston Villa players were stunned by the sacking. The leaders were upset about the sacking. (laughs) I'm sitting there thinking, well, I'm sorry, but you've shown nothing that 
you were playing for that guy. Like they were, they were losing games they really shouldn't be losing. They've never looked consistent, even last season. A lot of people were saying Dean Smith's done a wonderful job, and I'm thinking, well, you know, he's not like he has. He, he sold a, a player for a hundred million, which is more than they should have paid for him, and then he spent that hundred million on well, Crap. it looks like nothing. Not to say that I wasn't sitting there thinking they had a good window. To be fair. But clearly, he didn't have a plan because it hasn't worked. I think the other concern is they've been this bad with a full start in 11. I just don't know if the players are good enough. Is it one of those almost QPR-type moments where they've got loads of seemingly good individual plays, but it just doesn't come together? He had a system that seemed to work well last season, and then it was disrupted by the signing of Danny Ings and, and one of their players, Watkins, suffered for it. And I just don't know whether the money is being spent with any kind of consideration for what the manager wanted or anything. Like, I mean, we don't know what's going on behind closed doors, let's be fair. Was there pressure on him to play both? Because he kept trying it and trying it. And we were like, well, what's he doing? Yeah, and I just I don't know. And for me, for the players to like McGing and Tyrone Mings to come out and Watkins to say really surprised and upset about the sacking, something just doesn't sit right with me. Because you know, if a manager's not doing his job or anything, then yeah, you give the respectful post on Instagram or whatever they do these days and say thanks, boss, for all your hard work, but. To come out and say they were surprised shows to me that there was something else going on behind closed doors, but I don't know. I can't say it wasn't coming, though. Let's be fair. They weren't in a good run of form. No, and as for Saints, they surprised us again. They keep turning up. Armstrong finally landed um, a hammer blow to them. That's now three wins out of the last five games. Now, um, we've got one more televised game. Um, so we'll try and wrap nothing too eventful. And I think we discussed it before with Brighton, but it's more a case of, well, normal service resume, really, isn't it? Brighton being Brighton now, kind of that evening out of the early peak that they had. Newcastle, I'm going to say it. Obviously, they've now got a manager confirmed. For those that missed, Eddie Howe is now the man in the... Uh, the hot seat, but again, until January, and we've always said this, until January, it's hard to see where Newcastle go from here. And if you just work backwards to the fixtures where they could have got points, so Palace, Newcastle and Brighton, they've picked two points from a possible nine. You know, they've got Brentford at home next. I think that's a massive game now after the international break. So, you know, Brentford, Arsenal and Norwich are the next three. And we earmarked the Norwich, well, actually the next four will include Burnley. I think we earmarked the Burnley and the Norwich ones are the ones that must win. But given Brentford's form at the moment for Newcastle and given, again, it was only a point, although there'll be a bit of grief because I think if that challenge from Brighton's keeper hadn't happened they probably would have walked away with three but Newcastle are really walking the tightrope now aren't they and for them it's must win territory it's two things with with both teams Newcastle they've got Eddie Howe in jury's out I don't know I, I, yeah same with me I don't know how that will sit with Newcastle fans but I guess it shows a bit of a difference in mentality that they've got a young manager in to an extent who maybe shows a bit of vision. My only one concern is there's been a bit of um, talk about how how out of their depth these Newcastle owners might be, I've heard. There's been talks about how how they feel everything runs and, it, it's, and the, some of the conversations they've been having with people have been a bit laughable and they come across as a bit of a joke. Because well, they, they, don't, they really don't have any football, they've got no experience, and they've got no, they didn't bring any football people. I mean, Lee, Ch one thing that I find very interesting is 
Lee Charnley, who was a big part of the Mike Ashley era, is still there. And I think that's purely, purely... To navigate them. On his experience. They um, need a director of football in, I think, because I, I, there's, there's a lot of inexperience going on there. They just look a bit out of their depth, like, you know, the way they celebrate a goal and everything's just a bit like, you do realise you're 5-1 down, for example, like, yeah, we scored that kind of mentality. And you just think you need a bit of someone there that understands. And maybe... Eddie Howe might be able to swing that a little bit and say, well, look, let me bring in other people that could maybe help with this transition because they've got to be very careful where, whereby, you know, they, they don't even impress the right people when they're trying to make transfers that they look well, that stupid, if you know what I mean. They've not covered themselves in glory with the managerial search, have they? Let's face it. I mean, you and I no. blew up in their face. So, yeah, I, mean, I just don't know if they've got a vision. That's the problem. No. That's well, that's my issue. I think they've gone in thinking, we'll go in all guns blazing. We're basically... By the league. <laughs> but you need a trajectory. You need a story. You need, like you say, you need a, a vision for the team. And I think, to be honest, even with Eddie Howe, if your vision for the team is, say, top four in the next two or three years... Eddie Howe, no doubt, will bring the best out of the offensive players. But with Bournemouth, they were always, always in the bottom five for defensive record. And the reality is Newcastle in a relegation dogfight. And the key to a relegation dogfight, as we all know, is keeping clean sheets. So, treading treacherous water there. Flip side is for Brighton. They'll probably be a little bit gutted that they didn't get a home win. Um, but solid start for them. Another point in the bag going into the international break, sitting in sixth now, I think it is. So My only concern with Brighton, they've drawn five of their last six Premier League games in a row, and the other one was the loss. Not won a game in the Premier League since 19th of September. Don't be concerned. Yet. So there's a pro and a con to that. That's crazy. But still seventh. That shows how bad this league has been, or how exciting even, I guess. you. And they're still tied on points with Man United, so that's that's another story. Look, they're not losses at the end of the day, and let's be fair, the Liverpool one, they'll be well happy with that one. But there's a draw against Norwich and a draw against Newcastle in there, so which one outweighs the other? I always knew it would catch up on them. I always knew it would catch up. I mean, if they get another... 17 points out of those 11 next 11 games they're on 34 points for the season so they're only six points off the 40 mark with still 16 games left to yeah, go so they'll be i fun. don't think they'll be no need to be concerned let's anyway moving on brilliant yeah great great 5 30 saturday game thanks a lot sky for waiting on saturday evenings that wraps up the tv games i guess we should move on to the next part of the show, which just happens to be one of your favourites. We got new rules in place for this yeah, going forward. But let's be let's get the predictions out of the way first. Yeah, let's do that. So I'll mix it up a little bit. Let's do the predictions first. Um so we had three games, two of them we've already discussed. One of them I'm sure we're going to discuss, unfortunately, in the second half of the show. So we've got West Ham, Liverpool, Southampton, Villa and Palace Wolves. So, West Ham, Liverpool, we know it ended 3-2 to West Ham. Yeah, it's fair to say none of us got a point on that one, so moving on. <laughs> um, just to highlight though, Jace, to be fair, you were nearest along with Cookie in terms of them. You thought there'd be goals. You said 4-2 Liverpool. Cookie said 3-1 Liverpool. I said 2-1 Liverpool. So we knew there'd be goals, but just not that way around. Southampton Villa, we know that ended up 1-0 Southampton. One of us did get three points here. And unfortunately, it's the man that's not with us because Cookie said Southampton would win 1-0. Oh, so he gets... He can't have it. He no, gets... He gets three points, but me and you do get a point because we both said Southampton would win. So we seem to know that the Dean Smith's head was soon to be on the block. 
Um, and then the final one, which we've not spoken about yet, was Palace Wolves. Now, Jason, what was the Palace Wolves score? Oh, I'll tell you that one. That was a 2 0 for Palace. Wonderful. Wonderful. It was. And guess who got the only point in that one? Me. Yes. But if you did not give the Wolves a goal, you would have got three. Oh, damn. I should have had more faith in our defence. You said 2 1, but it was. It was 2-0, obviously. I said 1-all, uh, Cookie said 2-all. So you were the only one that got a point there. So that leaves you in 13 points. Cookie on 20, me on 23. So Cookie's caught me up quite quickly. Oh, um, moving on, moving on, moving on. Yeah, you're fourth out of a three-horse race. Um, the next bit, the Wheel of Wonder. <laughs> Doing things slightly different. Changing it up a bit going forward. So I'm still going to spin the wheel. Let's see which one you get. You are talking about Barcelona appointing Xavi as their new manager. So you need to give your two pence on how you think that's going. And because there's only two topics, one for you, one for me, You've got two minutes just to get a bit of an opinion out there, just in case. So you're not pushed for time. Don't mean you have to use the whole two minutes if you want. Three, two, one, go. Well, well, well. Do we have a return of a Messiah? And no, that's not Messi. That is Messiah, and that is Xavi. Um, finally been unlocked from his contract in Qatar and returns home to his Catalan home. My two pence on it, I think, look, until they sort themselves out financially, still going to find it very, very difficult. I do think where he knows the club and the potential youth players, he's come out and backed Dembele, which is strong, considering the up and down start he's had there. So the jury's out on that one for me. Um, I do think they need someone like him, though, that knows the club, understands the club and holds a... Um, certain profile within the club. Mind you, you could have said that about Ronald Koeman, to be fair, because he was a bit of a legend before joining and he got destroyed. But I do think with Shabby it will be different. He knows the club. I think the younger players will look up to him and know what he achieved with Barcelona. Obviously, it's more recent than Ronald Koeman. So, yeah, look, he's... Well, he, he's saying the right things. So... We shall see um, whether or not he only obviously got inducted on, was it Monday or today or last night officially? So, um, yeah, potential good appointment, but a lot, a lot of work. And it sounds like if he wants to work with Dembele and Co, he might try and get the best out of the fringe players that have been there the last couple of years. So, jury's out. Ask me in a few weeks' time. I'll give him a few weeks. One minute, 50 seconds. So you, uh, you made the most of the time there. And that leaves me on to the other topic. And seen as we it came out this week, my topic is to discuss, not that we're going to talk about it next week, but is to discuss the England squad, uh, specifically highlighting a couple of players that I've got in there. So... Whenever you're ready to count me in for my two minutes, I will happily take that on board. Three, two, one. Off you go. So the England squad's come out for the exciting matches against Albania and San Marino. Um, we've got familiar faces in there who I won't cover, but a couple of them that do stand out, which have joined up with the squad. Um, Ramsdale being one of them. We already alluded to that. Is he coming for Jordan Pickford's number one spot? Jason doesn't think so. I think he's in for a game against San Marino. Mind you, he'll probably be drinking more tea than catching balls in that one. Um, and then we've got the interesting discussion as to whether Tammy Abraham and Smith Rowe can nail down a starting spot. Again, probably against San Marino. Um, 
so that everyone in the starting eleven can at least get one goal. A um, couple of highlights, obviously, which are being raised is what will it take for certain players to be dropped? Obviously, Harry Kane, slow start. Jack Grealish, slow start. Raheem Sterling can't get a game. Um, then you've got others around. I mean, the back line hasn't been changed. Um, maybe there was a shout that that could have been tweaked a little bit, especially with Tyrone Mings getting in the side. That is Tyrone Mings of nearly relegated Aston Villa. Um, so a few highlights there that, you know, maybe are up for discussion. But we know Southgate, he likes to stick with the regulars and uh, try what's already been tested. And maybe against Albania and San Marino, we would have been hoping that he might have just been a little bit braver. One minute 38, well done. But as you alluded to there, well, it's kind of Southgate, isn't it? Don't need two minutes to talk about it because there's no surprises. And out of desperation, he's put Smith Rowe in after a few days of people hankering about it. So no real surprises there. If you're not going to drop a player for being out of form after 11 games against teams like Albania and San Marino, you've got no chance, have you? It's not like you're saying they're not going to make it to the World Cup. You're just letting them know, up your game. And then you'll get in. But he only does it to players that he knows he's got, you know, like Jaden Sancho, who maybe won't pipe up. But yeah, as you say, it's Southgate. Bit of a spooner. Couldn't put it better myself. Fully, fully agree. On that note, where are we going to go from here? You know what? I'm going to be biased. Let's start with Palace Wolves. Um, and I'll tell you for why. Because last week, we spoke a lot about Wolves and how they were on the upward trajectory. They were sitting in sixth or seventh. And we didn't really discuss this bit too much, but I felt like for Palace, it was a key game in respect of they've drawn a few games where they should have won. There was obviously the big result against City last week. The first opportunity for Vieira to get back-to-back wins. And there was a pressure, let's face it, of not being draw specialists. So there was the potential for it to be a banana skin in that respect. Um, and you have to say, again, fair play to the man. Because, again, he's got them playing. Wolves struggled to get hold of it. It was a tight, cagey first half. But Palace stuck to the game plan, kept going, going, going. And... Because the key thing of all of this is Palace, and I've never been able to say this, but I think that's now six league games at home and they're unbeaten. So we are now not just metaphorically Fortress Selhurst, but we are actually starting to become Fortress Selhurst. There's promising times for Palace. Take it. Don't say about the what ifs because it's very rare you get to be in this position. Um and fingers crossed, you know, at least the style of football looks nice as well. So yeah. I, I don't think there'll be too many complaints. I think Wolves will be a little bit unhappy that they haven't come away with anything as well. Um, not to say that they deserve to come away with anything. I just mean generally they would have hoped they would have put up a better effort against Palace. But yeah, just not not meant to be this week for them. Now, I don't normally give them a lot of air time, but... Charity FC. So they've gone on to beat Brentford 2-1. But unbelievably, and again, this will be chat for another week next week, sack the manager after the game. Now I'm guessing the decision was made beforehand and the post-match reaction of the manager waving to the fans and the way you celebrate the win would probably suggest he knew it was coming. But Bizarre set of circumstances for you? Yeah, you just don't do that in Norfolk. You don't win games. It gets you the sack. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, look, we've got Kossi on next week, who's a diehard Norwich fan. He sent me a message saying he wishes he was going to be on the show today, let alone next week to discuss it. But we've got time next week to discuss it in more detail. So maybe it's worked out better. But he said he felt it was no doubt decided before the game and will be resolved during the international break. But his message after was, but I hate it in every way. So I don't really know what to make of it. I mean, it depends, I guess, who they end up going for, doesn't it? Because you start to 
question, you know, who's out there? Who wants that Norwich job? Let's be honest. Well, um, a few names banded around and they seem a bit far-fetched and ambitious to me. But Do you know, the other problem is that they're, they're, they've gone into a market where they, I mean, we said we were calling this weeks ago. If they'd have done this weeks ago, they might have had better options. Instead, they're going into a market now whereby, well, they are. They're competing with Aston Villa. Newcastle have got their man, who, let's be fair, you probably would have said Norwich would have, could they have entertained Eddie Howe? Probably. If Villa get Hudson Howe, Norwich are then facing Southampton for a manager. I think Southampton win that every time. Mm-hmm. So they could be down four, five pecking order of who they actually wanted. Um, yeah, he's pecking. <laughs> I mean, never know. Man United keep losing games. They might get Solskjaer. And then well, we could talk about Norwich and Solskjaer in the same match. <laughs> he's got no league experience with Cardiff, isn't he? He's used to a relegation. <laughs> charity FC with a charity manager. But, um, but no, being, being serious, I've I got to be honest, when I saw them beat Brentford and then they sacked him, I thought, you're having a laugh, aren't you? But yeah, clearly it happened beforehand. So just odd, why now? Well, Brentford now, that's four Premier League losses on the bounce. You would have fancied, what, the last two games at least for them to be getting four points? I mean, I'm still sitting pretty coy on where they'll finish. I'm still saying, I think I had them in 11th, but it's a big fall from grace and they're now averaging, what, on average about a point a game? Four points off Burnley. Bit of naivety creeping in, do you think, there? I think the naivety that people were highlighting at the beginning of the season starting to come through. Um you don't lose games against Norwich and Burnley if you want to stay up. No. Not after the start they had. I'm, I'm a bit concerned, I've got to be honest, because Villa get a manager in, get those players ticking, then players, you know, are twice the players that Brentford have. Yeah. Um, Leeds, mm, they shouldn't be down there, let's be fair. And if they get their full squad back, you'd say they're starting 11 stronger. Burnley are doing what Burnley always do and start digging their heels in and maybe have a bit more experience. You never know. It could come down to the classic Brentford-Watford battle. I don't know what's worse. Is it worse falling from grace like Brentford had or is it worse being in the bottom three after 11 games like Burnley are? But Burnley are certainly getting points in games that I didn't think they'd get points in and maybe the momentum's with them at the moment. Funny you say that. Because let's fall straight to form because it will conclude Saturday's games and let's talk about Burnley because they, of course, hounded out a point at the bridge. It was, I mean, it was an odd result. I don't really know what to make of it still, to be fair, but for Burnley, nonetheless, decent point in the end. Arrogance from Tuchel. Obviously, Lukaku didn't start. You had Havertz up top, but then you had Barkley and Hudson-Odoi. Now, part of me says Tuchel has gone into that game saying, come on, boys, let's focus on the next game after Burnley before it's even kicked off. And let's be fair, you're looking at a bench where Mason Mount, Pulisic and Ziyech are sitting there and he starts Ross Barkley. Well, he's lucky Liverpool lost to West Ham, I can tell you that, because... But then even that, I think Liverpool will be more content with losing to West Ham than Chelsea will getting a draw at home to Burnley. So I don't know what to make of that. Amazing result for Dyche to get a point at the bridge. Um, they've only lost one game in the league in their last six. Yes, majority of them are draws, but they're not losing games. Four points, four draws. And, you know, as we said, Brentford lost four in a row. So that's four points that they've closed the gap on Brentford, isn't it? So, and this for Chelsea, as you say, odd, odd game. Um, another game that, again, like you say... There's no creativity, Jace. No. Well, again, and also it's the... It was the, I don't know, almost the arrogance, the post-match comments of proud of the performance, the performance I can't fault. And it's like, you're at home to Burnley. There should be no expectation, no disrespect to Burnley, of course. But if you're the Chelsea manager with that squad, 
should be no more than three points expected. So odd times for Chelsea. Um, again, another chink in their armour exposed. And um, I mean, who knows of this title race? And as for Burnley, they've blown up, blown open the bottom half as uh, seemingly been written off and dead and buried. So fair play to Dice, fair play to them. They're doing what they need to do and they're picking up points here and there. So that'll make, well, adds to the pressure to the rest of them. And with Norwich winning as well, it really does chuck the canaries amongst the pigeons. Well, we get go back to uh, Sunday and the, the last couple of games to cover off, all of which, by all intents and purposes, were a bit disappointing, to be honest. But nonetheless, I'm not particularly choosy which one we start with, but I guess given that you're the Spurs fan and uh, old Conte's first league game in charge, it's only fair that we start there. Um, thoughts early days I know crazy game in the conference league earlier on in the week followed by a surprising nil-nil I think he'll take it to be honest I think I think the fact we didn't lose is is massive um, we've now got two weeks for Conte to really nail down his his game plan um, I think he will change it because I, I don't think the three four three works with our centre midfield. To be honest, I, I don't think there's enough with Skip and Hoiberg to create anything. I mean, Spurs didn't get a shot on target, which is going to is again the big problem with creativity. Um, Everton, they seem a bit lackluster as well. I think they're really struggling with injuries. You know, I think they're one of these teams that West Ham will be looking at going. Yeah, that could be us because, you know, they've lost. They've The equivalent of West Ham losing the players Everton have lost is like losing um, Antonio and Declan Rice this season. Everton have lost Decore and, and Calvert-Lewin for at least another two, three weeks, which, you know, they're two massive, massive players for them. The atmosphere still baffles me at Goodison. They were so quick to get on his back. They were foaming at the mouth that Spurs would go 1-0 up and then it would turn so toxic. Um, I mean, this is a team that, like yourselves, Chase, they're two points off the sixth, for Christ's sake, um, with those two injuries as well. And they were without Richarlison at one point, let's remember. So, <laughs> I just I, it baffles me. But yeah, not a lot to say, to be honest. I think let's judge Conte and Spurs new identity after the international break because the players that aren't going away on international duty are in for a tough, tough boot camp for the next two weeks. Let's just say that. I think, well, Deli Ali will have the shock of his life. Talking about hard ex-training and the gods that lap up the Ball, the final game, Leeds Leicester. Leeds rescued by VAR. Leicester will be aggrieved that they didn't win. Um, another point in the bag for the Bielsa fanboys. But still, I mean, they're slowly creeping away, but still within three points. But Leicester, again, can't quite seem to hit it this season. Leicester just can't seem to hit the ground running and Leeds, yeah, Leeds just seem to be the team that don't want to win a game. You know, they've beaten Norwich and Watford this season. That's it. Every game at the moment for Leeds looks tough and they just do not want to look at that December, I tell you, because it's not kind at all. But Leicester, on the other hand, we thought they'd hit the ground running with a couple of wins in the Europa League and the EFL Cup and the two Premier League games against United and Brentford. And now they've lost to Arsenal, drawn to Spartak Moscow at home and drawn to Leeds and you're starting to think, hang on, where's this going again? Uh, Chelsea when they come back as well. So, you know, they're, they're, they're certainly having a bit of a, a tough time and maybe their expectations this season need to be right off this season and, and come back next year because I, I can't see too much from them and if anything, it will probably end up if they finish where they are currently, 12th or somewhere around there, they probably will need to rebuild because I can't see Tielemans and whatnot staying. 
that's what I was going to say to you. What would be now, I mean, for Leicester, you know, seven points off fourth, I think five points off fifth. As you say, I can't see them getting going enough to hit the dizzy heights that they would need to get in the kind of European places. But They're five points off 17th as well, Jace, remember? So, I mean, what for you now, well, or for Leicester, what would you deem, as you say, Tillemans, it sounds like, wasn't going to stay anyway, but what is success for Leicester now? What what does it look like? And where do I mean, where does it leave Brendan Rodgers? I mean, you know, he's been linked, he's been muted with the United job. Is it the speculation again over key key individuals at the club? I mean, a few weeks ago there was speculation over Tillemans, but he obviously delivered a couple of key performances against United and such. As you rightly mentioned there, I mean, even if you look at their Europa League, you know, they're still okay, they've got a couple more games to play, but by no means guaranteed to get through. Napoli atop of seven points. Legia Warsaw six points in second. Leicester sitting third on five. But then you've got Spartak Moscow, Mas- Moscow rather, that are on four points. So even you know, even then, there's no guarantees with the Europa either. So tough times for Leicester. So that is the Premier League fixtures wrapped up. Um, we don't need to be doing predictions this week because it is international break. So that will come the following week. Which leaves us one final piece of the jigsaw left of this pod to do, and that is our one up, one down. So there's only two of us this week. I don't know if you've got cookies there, but I'll let you know. No, so just the two of us said. Thanks, Cookie, part timer. So then, Scott, what are you saying? Uh, I'm going to move leads down. I, I mean, they're too high for me at the moment. Um, they're currently in 10th, so I think I need to definitely nudge them down. So they'll drop down one spot to 11th, which means Brighton go above them in 10th. I am going to move Burnley up, so I've currently got them in 18th. It will mean that Southampton will, because Southampton is still 17th on mine. I don't believe Southampton will get relegated this year but it will mean that temporarily they look a bit odd in the table. But yes, I am going to move Burnley up to 17. Nice. And that wraps up number 24. Yes, 24. Unfortunately, 25 is going to be our quarter centenary. There's going to be during an international break against two mega, mega teams that we always struggle against. But hey ho, struggle to score six goals against. Yes, but we move, we move, and um, as Scott said earlier, we'll take a different turn of events next week. We've got a special guest on the show that can pour his heart out over the Canaries and how they uh, fucked up on this uh, endeavour of Premier League football. And of course, we will discuss. We mentioned to it briefly earlier the managerial merry-go-round. There's been quite a lot happening the last week or so. Eddie Howe now in the hot seat at Newcastle. Villa have ridded of Dean Smith. That was the two recent ones. Fark's yeah, been sacked. Conte in at Spurs. Um, so I guess we're just. I guess the managerial merry-go-round is going to take up a bit of a chunk, isn't it? Because oh. let's be fair, it's quite a big. Of course it is. No, it is a big thing. Unless you're Norwich, they'll probably still be twiddling their thumbs. Probably re-employ fart, to be fair. That's what they're doing. Now, isn't it? But um, <laughs> you never know. You never know. But as for Pod 24, all oh, that means my right and thinking will have four guests on next week. The first time. Well, well, well. Best upgrade that Zoom package, then better not. <laughs> um, I joke. Don't worry. The future of this pod is not in, in Zoom's hands. Don't you worry, folks. Don't you worry. On that cheery notes, that was Pop 24. I'm Jason, he was Scott. See you next week. We hope. Upgrade that sleep package.